I want to begin with a question. And the question is simply this. Why should we pay any attention at all to what might or might not be written in the book of Amos? I mean, the man's just a herdsman. A sheep breeder. From a little village, just a 10K, that's uh, 6.2 miles, south of Jerusalem. Jeroboam claimed authority in Bethel as the king of Israel. Amaziah claimed authority in Bethel as the high priest there. But Amos claimed no authority. In fact, in chapter 7, verse 14, Amos says, I was no prophet. I wasn't the son of a prophet. And I guess that meant something back in those days, just like I did, it did when I was in school. I don't know how many times when I was in school, uh, for some reason in the principal's office, and the principal would invariably remind me, you're the preacher's son. Amos is here saying, hey, I, I was no prophet. I wasn't even a prophet's son. So why should we listen to him? Why should we pay attention? Well, let me go on to where we start today. The book of Amos is divided into three sections. The oracles, which we looked at last week, those are the thus saith the Lord sayings. And if you'll remember, the majority of those were thus saith the Lord regarding punishment, judgment. They were oracles regarding sin and judgment. And today we move into the second section, which is called by one writer, the sermons, chapters 3 to 6. And then chapter 7 to 9 is referred to as the visions, kind of a threefold division of the book of Amos. So as we look at these sermons, I think we can quickly understand why we would want to pay attention if somebody in fact has heard a word of the Lord, thus saith the Lord. But as we move into these sermons, I think it's important for us to remember that Amos himself said, I was no prophet nor prophet's son, but the Lord, and he uses this phrase, the Lord took him from the flock. It's a word that means seized, grabbed. Amos believed that God had grabbed him away from that flock and again away from his responsibilities and said to him, Go prophesy to my people. You know, before we move into the sermon, so I want to point out to you that even though Amos was called to go to the northern kingdom of Israel, the first verse of chapter 3 
He says that he was actually going to the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. Who was that family that he brought up out of the land of Egypt? It was the family of Isaac. All the twelve sons and all the families. Not just the eleven that had separated themselves in the terms of the northern kingdom. But to the whole family. Amos wasn't ready to accept the divided kingdom. He said, no, there isn't a God in Bethel and a God in Jerusalem. There is one God. One God. That's the God that we need to be looking to and worshiping and serving. And so today... Continuing our theme on major messages from the minor prophets, which we only have two more, by the way. Next Sunday we'll finish up Amos. We'll have a break for Thanksgiving. And then the last Sunday of the month we'll do Obadiah on one Sunday. And then we'll move on. But I titled my message for today simply the Sermons of Amos. And I want to read just the first eight verses of chapter 3. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they've agreed to me? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he's taken nothing? Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come into a city? unless the Lord has done it. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing His secret to His servants, the prophets. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? May God add His blessing to our reading of His Word this morning. Sermon 1, which is chapter 3. Sermon 1 is a sermon of doom on Israel. Verses 1 and 2, right away he says that he as God has taken the Israelites into a special relationship. You only. You only. And because of that special relationship, he was going to hold them accountable. Now, let me just use this as an illustration. There are times at which I will get up and I will walk out of my office and I'll say something to little Quinlan. But I do it in a way of love, encouragement. I don't step across the line and try to discipline him when Kay is there. That's not my role. God says, you only, 
You only have I taken into this relationship, but because I have taken you into this relationship, I'm going to punish you for your iniquities. You see, it was a, a unique privilege. They had God as their Father, God watching over them, God providing for them. But when there is privilege, there is responsibility. And unfortunately, that is something that has not been learned. We have a whole generation that doesn't want to take responsibility, but wants all of the privileges. Gimme, gimme, gimme. But don't expect me to do anything in return for it. And in verses 3 to 8 of that that we read, he goes into these what are known as dispute sayings. And the first of those, it's seven rhetorical questions that all assume that we know the answer, and we do. And the first of those are a cause and effect situation. We know because of the cause, the effect's going to take place. And those prepare us then for the climax, which is verses 7 and 8. For the Lord God does nothing without revealing His secret to His servants, the prophets. So what's the prophet's task? The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord has spoken. Who can but prophesy? And that's the challenge. That's the challenge that we face. That's the fat challenge that I feel as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When I see things, I don't divide public versus private. There is no such thing. And don't tell me you think there is. Because if I in my private life started living absolutely immorally, you would not want me in my public life to be your minister. Right? And yet we heard that garbage in terms of the presidency. That's a person's private life, not their public life. And we heard that all the way back to Clinton on. There is no separation of public and private. There is no separation between what is religious and what is not religious. There is no separation between church and state. What is in the Constitution of the United States of America, if you would choose to read it, is a clause that protects the church from the state. Not the state from the church. And while I'm on my little soapbox, let me go on. The right to bear arms is not for self-protection. The right to bear arms is not to protect us from the enemy out there. That's the militia. That's the police. The right to bear arms is for you to be able to protect yourself if a government should rise up that is a government of tyranny. Read the Constitution. The separation of church and state came up in a private letter of Thomas Jefferson to one of his friends. Danbury Baptists. It's not in the Constitution. <coughs> 
the reason why we need to read the book and study the book of Amos is because it is a harsh, harsh message of doom, a message of judgment. And what was revealed in verse 7 was the fact that four times he uses the word strongholds. Your strongholds, where you have stored your plunder, will even be plundered. Don't think that we are safe. We are not. And why the message of doom? Because they hadn't kept themselves separated, they weren't different. They had allowed the pagan practices, the non-godly practices, to seep into their beliefs as if they're okay. Such as the sacrifice of children and babies. The ripping of babies from the womb. That is a biblical phrase. That's why they were being held under judgment and why doom was on them. So verse 11, he says, therefore, based on verses 9 to 10, three words, enemy, surrounding, land. You're going to be sieged. You're going to come to an end. And I think that is a message of doom that we in the United States better listen to. Which brings us to Sermon 2. Why such a message of doom? Because of the depravity. Hear this word. You cows of bash. I'm sorry about that, women. That's Amos' words. He was using an image. An image of well-fed, overfed people who were living in luxury. Hear this word. You who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you. They came. The doom that Amos predicted in his first sermon took place in 722 B.C. when Samaria was surrounded by siege. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 17. There was no place to hide. No place to even seek refuge. They couldn't go into the temple and grab the horns of the bull of the altar. They weren't safe anywhere. And Amos began his second sermon by that somewhat crude comparison, uh, but indicated also that those women weren't going to be spared. They were going to be let off with hooks because of the oppression. And what were they trying to do to put it off? False Worship. False worship. Come to Bethel 
and transgress. Go to Gilgal and multiply your transgressions. Hear what Amos is saying? He's being, sac- he's being sarcastic with them. Why? You think your worship's going to help you? Then go to Bethel. Go to Gilgal. Those were places that once had been sacred places. Genesis 35, Joshua 5. But now they were just places where people were going and offering their sacrifices and giving their tithes. Uh, But it was all in vain. In fact, God goes on in verse 6, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you didn't return to me. More than once he uses that phrase. Phrase 9, yet you didn't return to me. Verse 10, yet you didn't return to me. Verse 11, yet you didn't return to me. Let me tell you something. If things have been so bad, and people were testifying how bad things were, why didn't they turn to the Lord and get things straightened out? Instead of just grumbling and complaining, and spewing their hatred, You see, we're no different than they were in the day of Amos. That's why we need to read Amos. And that's why as Amos is closing his second chapter, he used this for the second time. He used it once in Sermon 1. He uses it once here in Sermon 2. The Lord God of hosts is His name. He's going to use it six times in this third sermon. Six times. Chapter 5, verse 14, 15, 16, 27. Chapter 6, verse 8, and 14. Why the emphasis on the God of hosts? Or the God Almighty, as some translations have it. Because it's an image of God as the warrior. God fighting for His people. And what He's saying to the nation of Israel and what He's saying to us, church, is that God will continue to fight on our behalf if we will look to Him and not look to some phony political process to save the day. And in Sermon 3, starting with chapter 5, he begins a dirge. A dirge. Say, what in the world? Oh, Jesus. He said, why, John came and you sang a dirge. Remember that little phrase he has? It's a lament. It's a sad song. And his third sermon, chapters 5 and 6, is a lament for Israel. Hear this word. Three times he's used that phrase. Three, verse 1, 4, verse 1, 5, verse 1. Three sermons. Hear this word. That I take up over you in lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel. Forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. If we fall as a nation, who's going to be there to lift us up? No one. 
it'll be a great trampling. And again, I predict it's going to happen in my lifetime. But what does God say? He gives them another chance. Seek the Lord and live. Who is the Lord? Chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He's the all-powerful. He's the one who made Pleiades and Orion, those star configurations out there, and turns deep darkness into morning, and just goes through all these acts of creation that God does. And then, verse 10. They hate Him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor Him who speaks the truth. I just read last night that one of the things that is going to be attempted very quickly is the curtailment of religious liberty. Why? Because the statement of one man was that churches are just places that allow and harbor hate. See how long it takes for it to happen. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you built good houses for yourself. You planted vineyards. But verse 12, I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time. For it is an evil time. But then the message of hope. Verse 14. Seek good and not evil. That you may live. Seek good. And God might be gracious. The God of hosts. Verse 14. The God of hosts. Verse 15. The God of hosts. Verse 16. And then verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. Amos was the earliest of the prophets to introduce the idea of the day of the Lord. And yes, it's a time when the Lord is coming. And yes, those who are righteous will be taken care of. But it's a day of judgment on the masses. That's what he goes into in chapter 6, verses 8 to 14. Why? Again, because of their false religion. Chapter 5, verse 21. I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no light in your solemn assemblies. And then verse 24. I've heard this since I was a kid. I think it might be in a song somewhere. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Whoa. Chapter 6, that's the way it begins. Whoa. Verse 1, woe to those who are at ease. Verse 4, woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs and calves from the mist who sing idle songs. 
Because the Lord of hosts is sworn by Himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. I abhor the pride of Jacob, and I hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that's in it. Finally, the last verse, chapter four of six, verse fourteen. Before, for behold, I will rise up against you, a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. Why? Because they worship man-made things. They worship man-made things. Whether it be little idols, or whether it be jobs, or whether it be political systems or parties, all those are man-made. And that's where we all of a sudden begin to put our worship and our praise. Oh, wow, thanks, good, praise the Lord. And Amos says, and destruction is coming. Why? The unavoidable message of the sermons of Amos is that we have not made sure that justice was done and righteousness was done. We have taken God out of everything. Why should we expect God not to have honored our request and removed His presence? Let's pray.